Welcome to Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, one of the hosts of the podcast, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Jennifer Sobecki. She is the Chief Executive Officer of Designs for Dignity, a really cool organization that I think is doing something that I haven't heard of anyone else doing. And so I'm really excited for her to share about that with you. But first I wanna say welcome Jennifer and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us at Designs for Dignity. We're thrilled to be here. Yeah, and we, we always get excited about guests. Obviously we agree on people that we love to hear their story and everyone has a great story to tell. And I think that um, obviously you will as well, but I think it's always good for us to kind of start at the beginning because people love to hear about how this sort of happened. And so starting from the beginning, can you tell us your Chicago tie? Were you like born and raised here? Did you move here for someone else? What brought you to Chicago? Absolutely. So I've uh, been in Chicago since two. Uh, I take that back, 1997. God, where does the time go? <laughs> um, born and raised in Ohio, so small town, close-knit, friends and family, you know, the kind of neighborhood where it's like we'd ride our, my brother and I would ride our bikes to the swim club, put the kickstand down, leave our bikes there and go for the day. And we didn't, you know, played all day, didn't come home until the lights went on. So uh, migrated my way here in 97, um, graduated with a degree in interior design and figured I needed to move to, you know, the next big city. And that was Chicago for me. And I've been here ever since. And, you know, city of great architecture, big shoulders, and still has the Midwest roots. So love it. and Yeah, it. yeah it's really a unique city because I grew up in central Illinois. And for me, I mean, where I grew up is much more like the South than it is like the North, you know, it's, it's very slow, very easy, you know, and very small. Um, and so I always identify more with the South and those Southern kind of values. But for you, um, kind of Midwestern, what would you say those values of growing up, were they like tr- the true Midwestern values that you grew up with? Or uh, what, what was that like for you? Like, what did you know was important to your family growing up? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm the oldest of four kids. And so, you know, as the oldest, you're technically responsible for everyone. (laughs) So grew up with knowing, you know, be honest, be full of integrity, work hard and, you know, and show, show what you're made of and, you know, just be a good, a good person and treat others as you would want to be treated. And I think, you know, I've started that day one. And I think my parents really instilled in me those values of, you know, be true to yourself, treat others, whether it's the waiter, the janitor, the CEO, yeah. same, because it comes back in spades and tenfold. Yeah. And 
I think that's especially true when you know those people, right? Like I, I know the janitor at my school, you know, maybe you go to church with them, maybe you shop at the same grocery store because there's only one in my town or like it, it's people that you know and that you have that level of familiarity with. So it can be a little easier sometimes when you know people, but uh, what is it when, when you don't know someone as well? Um, do you find that it's just as easy to kind of treat people with that same level of respect and, and because I think that's where it's, it, I find it interesting here in the city is because I don't know most of the people that I'm around outside of work, you know, most of the day. So do you feel like when you, when you don't have that same level of familiarity, is it still um, as easy to do that? You know, for me, it is, I think the way I was raised, I don't know what I call it. So if it's Midwestern charm or I, I'm always a smile or a winker, you know, pre COVID I was a big hugger. So <laughs> you know, it's like, whether I, you're my best friend or I've just met you, you're going to get a good handshake and, you know, make someone feel at ease. And, and, and I think, um, that makes people open up to you. So definitely in our line of work as a nonprofit, you know, we treat, our clients and staff and stakeholders, just like you would a for-profit client, because everyone yeah. deserves, you know, to be treated as your equal. And I think you'll find people will share more than you would ever think they would. I mean, I can tell you, I'm always at the grocery store, Mariano's, and somebody comes up to me and says, hey, what do you think about this? Or, and I'm like, I don't know you, but I must <laughs> right. give off a sense of like, you can ask me something or I'll reach on the shelf for you. It's just, it's it's funny, but, you know, I wouldn't, you know, change who I am or how I react with people, whether I've known you for two decades or I've just met you at a cocktail party or whatever. Um, I think that's just yeah. part of me. And can you kind of pull that thread for us, um, connecting that uh, since you do nonprofit work and really in the social services in general? Uh, one of the things that I hear from a lot of people that's really important is, you know, people's humanity, no matter who you are. Like just existing um, affords you a certain level of respect and resource. And so for you, for people who haven't been resourced as well as others, um, what is it about just humanity that, that you feel is important to try and reallocate those resources and try and make sure that other people have the same uh, ability to succeed as those of us who have been given more? Sure. So I think, you know, one of the big things is meeting people where they are. So mm -hmm. many times we are walking into a space where the clients they're serving literally came to them with a garbage bag full of clothes and whatever belongings they were able to, you know, leave with, or they've been living on the streets and that sort of thing. So I think, you know, one of the big, um, things that we work around is more trauma-informed design. So again, meeting somebody where they are, understanding or trying to put yourself in their shoes of, I'm walking into this you know, facility or this space or this housing shelter. What What's needed to make somebody take that first step to feel safe and feel okay? And, you know, and let their guard down, you know, yeah. their shoulders aren't up to their ears because they're so tense and it's, it's really, um, you know, meeting people where they are and providing those resources. So whether that's simple things like paint, a comfortable chair to sit in, 
good lighting, you know, I think many of our clients um, are victims of trauma or abuse and knowing that they can see they've got access to escape or, you know, they're close, closer to the door mm-hmm. so that if they feel, um, I guess, intimidated in any sort of way, they know that they have a way to leave the situation. Um, one of our first projects we designed was uh, Zacharias Center. It's a sexual abuse counseling center. And that's really how Designs for Dignity came about is uh, our founder, Susie Fredman, worked with the Zacharias Center to help them get furniture, carpet tiles, you name it. But it was designed in a trauma-informed way. We just didn't know we were doing that yet. Yeah. Uh, when it came to the lobby, it was tall ceilings and ample light and a fireplace so that the minute that mom or that child crossed the threshold, they knew they were in a safe place. Um, the bathrooms, they had two doors. So many times the, those instances of abuse or um, rape happen in an enclosed space so that you know the client knew oh, if I can't get out this way, I can get out that way. And just designing in a way um, that makes sense for the clients that we serve. Not yeah. dissimilar to what you wouldn't do for a you know multi-million dollar mansion. It's like, oh, you need two dishwashers? Fine. But on, yeah. a, on a regular scale of, you know, a housing shelter or whatnot, it's what are those basic needs? And, you know, and I think, you know, our name says it all. We bring dignity to a space. Um, and that's at the heart of our mission, that everyone should have access to design and to help lift them back up and so they become whole again. Yeah, and we definitely want to unpack that mission for people and, and share about that. But before we do that, I'd, I'd like you to talk a little bit about education, because I think that is one of the most important resources. And one of the things that I find really interesting to, to talk to our guests about is their decision uh, for post-secondary education, because it's it's one where um, people in the past were kind of like, you graduate high school, you go to college. If you can, you get your master's. You know, it's it's sort of this this process that you go through. And now it's a little different. Some people are choosing to forego post-secondary education, college or grad school. Some people are doing it later in life. And so it's really sort of changed a lot the way people look at that. Um, for you, how did you make the decision uh, on when to go to college? And then what would you say to people who are maybe in that position where they're trying to figure out what that next stage of their life is going to be like? Absolutely. You know, as I mentioned before, I am the oldest of four kids. So I was, you know, <laughs> in some cases, the guinea pig. So I was the first yeah. to, you know, to go off to college, didn't go too far away but far enough away. Um, and I think, you know, I always had a sense of like doing something creative um, and, and giving back. Like in high school, I worked with Habitat for Humanity, volunteered with the youth group and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, and, you know, and I was fortunate to, to be able to go um, to college and my parents supported that. I also, you know, took out loans and did what I needed to do to get there. Um, but I believe, you know, regardless of whatever path you choose, we're, we're all learning each and every day. I mean, I learn on the job at a project site. Um, and I think nowadays it's 
the value of education, no matter what way you get that, whether that's going to a trade school or, you know, college, post-secondary, getting your master's, getting your doctorate. I think what's really important is you have to follow your passion and that will guide you down your career path. Because I, as I said, you know, I've got friends and family that are custodial engineers and, you know, they're, they're retiring with a better, you know, retirement <laughs> plan, you know, uh, than, than somebody who's got their master's or doctorate degree, depending on the course they take. So I think, um, and the world needs everything. I mean, you'll yeah. find right now throughout COVID, the trades, it's more important than ever, you know, teachers that's in high demand nursing. I mean, we've all seen it. It's, um, everybody's role matters in the society. And, and I think that goes back to, you know, treating people as your equal, whether you, I've got five degrees or none, um, you know, we're all human and we're all in this together is what I would say. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's one of the things that people are understanding a little more is that when you do something that you're passionate about, regardless of what that is, it makes an impact in some way. And I think that people are starting to see <clears throat> that the impact that it has on people is really big and really important. Mm -hmm. And if it's one person or, you know, thousands of people, it's an impact that wouldn't have been made had you not done what you were passionate about. And I think that's really cool. I see that a lot with creative people. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, um, for better or for worse, I feel that COVID has also taught us an important lesson. Um, if you've seen people at various stages of their career, whether it's, you know, a younger professional saying, you know what, I don't think I want to do this anymore. And they're, they've taken the step to, you know, do something totally different. Or people that are towards, you know, a later chapter in their career say, you know what, I'm going to shift gears and I'm just going to make it work and spend more time with my family because I didn't have a choice, you know, for the past 18 months. And I've realized this is, you know, this is what's important to me at this stage of my life. So I think, you know, that whole life cycle, you know, um, lets people, you know, move to their next chapter. And then that opens up the opens up the workforce for, you know, some of us younger people that might want to step into those roles if people have moved on. So, yeah, it's a, it's all for all for the greater good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about Designs for Dignity, because I said, I think this is a really cool organization and you're doing work that is, uh, I mean, the impact has to be huge. And so, and obviously we can see the numbers. I can see the numbers here and see the impact through that. But I'd like for you to share us, share with us a little more about what it is that you're doing and, and what impact that has. So first, if you can share with us the heart of the mission, what is at the heart of Designs for Dignity? Absolutely. I think, you know, the heart of our mission is that we believe everyone deserves access to design and deserves to live in a live, work, whatever it is in an environment that, you know, makes you your best self. It mm. brings dignity, safety, comfort. Um, it allows the people that are working in a space to deliver social services better they as a staff member feel valued and appreciated and they can do the difficult work. You know, we've got colleagues that are working 60, 70 hours a week doing counseling and for education. They need to do that in a space that allows them to, to be their best selves and deliver that service in, in the best way. 
because they're, you know, they've gotten their psychology degree and they deserve to, you know, deliver that service in a, in a great way. Um, and I think the clients equally deserve that regardless of your background or where you've come from, you deserve to go to a space that lets you tell your story, feel trusted, feel believed and, and get on the path to healing or to that next space. If you're homeless and you have to stay at a shelter for 180 days that shelter should be something that, you know, you feel comfortable in so that you can take that next step. Because if you don't, you know, if you don't have a, a place to call home, how can you hold a steady job? How can you teach your, you know, how can you get your kids to school? How can you get the health care that you need? You have to have a home base. And so, yeah. I think, you know, as Designs for Dignity, we're not just singular in focus. We work around housing, education, counseling centers workforce development. Um, the, the need is all throughout greater Chicago. Um, we're in the city, we're up in Zion, we're out in Joliet, uh, countryside. I mean, we're everywhere. And the body of work that we have has only continued to grow throughout COVID. I mean, we might not have had our fun fundraising events, but our projects certainly did not stop. We were yeah. just talking on zoom. And then when we could meet in person, we would do that. But, um, yeah, it's it's amazing. So I think um, we're excited for what lies ahead, and we're you know ready to get out of this COVID world. But um, but we're doing the good work. And you've been doing this work. I know you've been there for seventeen years, but uh, Designs for Dignity has been around for twenty years, and mm-hmm. it's a it's a long time of doing this kind of work. Especially as you said, since a lot of it does have to do with trauma in some way. Um, but really. What I heard is, is that this impact is really twofold. One, obviously, there are clients who come in who have been in some sort of trauma, who need housing, who need care, who need you know therapy, who who have these needs of getting basic needs met, as well as other needs. But they come into these spaces and experience these spaces, um, and and you're helping to them to do that in a way that feels safe and comfortable for them. But it's also the people who are working in these spaces who are experts in these fields of psychology and therapy and social services. And so knowing that impact is really twofold in that way of the people who are providing the the services and the people who are receiving the services. What for you is really important when you're designing spaces for people to consider um, knowing that it's going to be used in, in these kind of ways. Absolutely. I think, you know, the biggest thing for us is, is to always listen. We, we, we gather a design team of volunteers that are experts in their field, whether that's, you know, a lighting designer, um, someone that's doing furnishings, you name it. We'll, we'll curate that team and kick off a meeting with the key stakeholders. So it's staff members, program directors, if, if it's possible, we get together with the clients to understand how are you using the space? What are your goals? Do you want to serve more people? Do you need more space for counseling? Um, and we put together a, a package that makes sense from furniture to lighting to knocking down walls, whatever it takes to, to make their facility um, at this become the same level of the amazing care that they're giving to their clients. 
you know, and I think for staff members, you know, just because, just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean you need to look like a nonprofit. And I think, you know, we've been stuck in this, you know, hamster wheel of like, oh, well, you know, this donor wants to give us this conference table or these chairs and, you know, one's got duct tape around the arm and it's like, well, that's not very dignified. So, you know, what can we do? And, you know, as an industry, there's so much out there, there's excess, there's showrooms that showcase product for a year. And then after that year, it's got to go somewhere because they have to show the next product for the next year. So we've been lucky to have such a great partnership with the Merchandise Mart and the different showrooms that we take all of that stuff from them. And then we can redeploy that in a design driven way. So it's, you know, it's really meeting the need of, you know, that counselor says, Hey, you know, I meet with, I could meet with a family one day. So I really need a sofa and a chair in my office so that everyone has a place to like tell their story. So um, it really, you know, it's, it's really individualized as far as like the program that we do and the design services that we offer. It's, it's not a cookie cutter solution. Um, We're really digging in deep to understand what the nonprofit needs, what the clients need, how are they using the space? How do they want to use the space in the future? Um, and, and really do our best to, you know, stretch whatever dollars they have. But at the end result, we're creating this space that's, you know, bringing a smile to a kid's face or making them say, Oh, you know what, can I, you know, can I go back to therapy or counseling? You know, they want to come after school or they want to go to the space to like, stay out of trouble. Um, so it's, it's pretty inspiring to see that happen. Um, yeah. Can you share with us, let's, let's take the dignity piece here and expand on that a little bit, because it, it would be easy for you to just say, we design spaces for, um, social services organizations that are there to help people. And you just put some stuff in a room and you say, okay, we need chairs, we need tables and it, you know, this is what we have. So we're going to put it in there. Uh, but we learned from another organization that we got to talk to earlier, um, that that coming into this with a with a sense of dignity is also very important because like they pro- they're providing essential clothes, hats, and gloves to kids who um, need them to be able to go to school, to be able to uh, just live really. And, and as they shared with us, you know, if a child is wearing a shirt that was like. I had a blast at so-and-so summer camp. It's like, well, if they didn't go to that camp and kids are like, oh, hey, how was camp? And they're like, oh, I don't know. It's someone else's shirt. That doesn't give them dignity. That doesn't bring them dignity. And so what, with what you're sharing, it's the same sort of thing where it's like, yeah, you can easily just throw stuff in a room and say, here's where you have to meet with the family. But to bring some level of dignity to that, I think is is really key. And And for your organization, to be focusing on that, I think is really amazing. And so for, for you on behalf of the organization, why is dignity so important to you? And like, why go that extra mile? Why, why do the extra work and have the extra headache of making sure that it's a space where people can be proud of? Right. Right. You know, I think, um, Giving people a choice or options is paramount to the work that we do. You know, we while we look at what donations or inventory we have in our warehouse for any given project site, 
no matter what, we still come to the table and meet with staff and clients and say, here's some of the things that we brought together. Do you, you know, does one color or, you know, from paint colors to furniture, like, does this feel good to you? Do you like this style better? Just like you would for any other design client. And I think bringing that level of dignity and opportunity and choice, it gives the client, um, they're, they're part of the process. They feel included. It's not like we're just doing this for you. It's, it's, it's that back and forth dialogue of like, what do you like about this? Or how does this, you know, color make you feel? And having that choice, it it does something to your psyche, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. for, you know, families that we're working with good news partners in Rogers park and this housing shelter is literally in an old auto garage. It's got a beautiful bow truss ceiling, but the, you know, it's got great bones, but there's no dignity right now. It's, you know, bunk beds made out of painted two by fours. And we are going to bring so much dignity and, and hope to that space. Um, like I can't wait to see it all come to fruition. And I think the kids that are going to be living there, even though they're only there a short time, it's going to be a game changer. Um, yeah. You know, some of the spaces that we've created in the past for housing and education, um, Boys Hope, Girls Hope in Evanston, we helped remodel their um, living room space, the dining space, the study space. So the kids that are living there, um, you know, escaping bad situations at, at, in their home life. Uh, there was this young gentleman. He's like, you know, he's like, I've been living here for two years. He's like, but after you guys came in and like renovated our, you know, painted the walls and brought new furniture in, he's like, I finally had the, you know, the courage or the nerve to say to my buddies, like, why don't you come to my house after school? Cause he was yeah. proud enough yeah. of his surrounding to say, no, why don't we study at my house after school? Come hang out at my house after school. And it's like, for that to happen is just, it's just awesome. Yeah. Do you ever get to interact with people who are getting these services or are, are you pretty much done by the time that the places are opening and serving people? Um, Pre-COVID? Yes. Um, no, in all seriousness, no, we, we do. We try to, you know, where we can and where it's appropriate, have yeah. a kind of a, um, we call it a design charrette. So having kids or clients come participate and be part of like looking at paint samples, looking at fabric, looking at pictures of furniture and, you know, kind of like, you know, um, cookie cutter designing the space on, you know, on the kitchen table to say, Hey, do you like this? Do you like that? We've got some bean bags. Here's, here's how this space could look. Um, you know, we've done exercises with the kids, um, at family matters. We did, we mocked up a room and then they could like color in different chairs and bring, you know, play with fabrics and learn about the design process too. Um, but no, most definitely, I think, you know, having the client, the end user be part of this entire process is, is so important. And the more that we can provide those opportunities, I think the better. And I think the end result is, um, even better as a result of that is, you know, having the input, um, you know, and the so selfish reward on our end, whether it's the designers that are giving back their time to have, have that face time and that joy of knowing that what they're doing is truly in, they're seeing the tangible impact. It's not just, you know, 
like you said, pulling together some pieces of furniture and paint colors and then sending your client an invoice. It's like, that's not how, <laughs> that's not how we roll. I mean, I think yeah. we're, you know, it's, it's the human side of design. Um, it's understanding yeah. who that person is at the end of the day, that's going to be sitting in that chair and telling you their story. Um, and it's to the staff member that gives countless hours um, in therapy sessions or, you know, helping fundraise, whatever that is, everyone deserves to do that in a dignified environment and in a space that makes them, you know, makes them want to stay at that organization and give, give their, you know, heart and soul. And then designing spaces where they can take a break when stuff gets too heavy and they can, you know, they're not eating lunch at their desk. So it all matters um, for everybody. Yeah. And Designs for Dignity has design spaces for over 250 organizations over the 20 years, which is amazing. Uh, tell me about your team, uh, people who you work alongside and, and uh, sort of how that works and just what's special about your team. Well, I'd say, you know, our team over the past two decades has certainly evolved um, here and there. I, I am the constant, um, obviously love, love the job and not going anywhere, but uh, we're a small but mighty team. There's a full-time staff of two. We have a couple of interns. Um, one of them actually is working with us from Nashville. So we've, we've proven that, you know, virtual work does happen and um, it's positive, but I think uh, we wouldn't be remiss to not count as part of our team, our staff, if you will, are all the amazing design volunteers, mm-hmm. the vendors and manufacturers that support our efforts um, each and every year. We, we bring in over a million dollars worth of product and materials into our warehouse and are able to cycle through that. Or We have 12 active projects going on right now in one phase wow. or another. So. Um, and all, you know, shapes and sizes from, you know, ground up to gut rehabs to just a paint refresh and some some furniture. But, um, you know, uh, we have a project manager, Ed Hanlon, who's my, my trusty sidekick. And he, prior to joining us, he was a volunteer for many years. So um, I'd like to say that we have a magnetic personality or people want to be part of part of our circle. Um, and we hope to continue to grow that circle of supporters and, and, um, volunteers. I think, you know, it's, it's at the heart of the work that we do to make it all possible, um, is through that network. Yeah. Uh, the reason that bridging Chicago exists is to share stories, stories like this, where, um, people can see, work that's being done, especially in our city, in Chicago and in the surrounding suburbs and neighborhoods. And um, because we think there's a lot of value in sharing stories. And for you, you're helping organizations share their stories and helping the people that they serve share their story in safe places, so in safe spaces. So why do you think it is important for us to share our stories and for us to feel like we can be heard in these spaces? I think, you know, it's important for everyone to have the opportunity to tell their story. And I think you never know um, by sharing your story, what, what path that might lead to. Um, I think one of the things um, early on in my career, I knew it's, is the value of relationships and partnerships and collaboration. And so, 
you know, whether you're, you know, sharing that story through, you know, a podcast like this or, you know, in a, you know, in a board meeting and, you know, telling a story to one of your board of directors about a project site you were just on. It's like, you never know where that's going to lead. It could lead to, you know, a big financial donation. It could lead to like, well, why didn't you tell me, Jen, that you needed some training tables? I've got 62 of them just collecting dust in a warehouse. Um, and I think, um, you know, partnerships, collaboration is so key to, you know, bringing our, um, the nonprofit community together, but also our city. I think, you know, we've been through some troubling times over the past two years and, um, you know, I hope we're getting on the other side of it, but I, I think, you know, we've gone through some scary, crazy stuff. And I think, you know, as I mentioned, our work does not stop. And as a result of it, I think, you know, more people are coming to the table realizing, you know, how important um, design is. I think, you know, all of us being cooped up during COVID realized how important space is and how it can impact your psyche um, and being able to live and breathe and work in a space that, you know, holds you up is, is paramount to your success and to be able to do the, the work that you need to do. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I'm hoping that, you know, we're on the other end of this, but I know some of the projects we've worked on, uh, most recently in Lasse in the little village neighborhood, you know, if they, if we hadn't worked with them to create their new community space and facility, they'd be still working out of this really cramped, small um, office space. And as a result of getting funding from McCormick and all the, you know, like tons of funding to build this beautiful space during COVID, they turned that facility into, you know, a, both a testing site and then a vaccination site. So I think, you know, being able to, you know, meet the need for their community was as was a result of um, of designing that building and getting it to come to fruition, um, and and then that ends up building a sense of community, especially for you know little village. I mean, there's been shoot crazy yeah. shootings and all of those things, and to be able to like have a hub that feels like a beacon of safety for that community is so important, and we were thrilled to be part of that. Yeah, and and those are communities that I think uh, we actually traveled to Little Village um, for our National uh, Hispanic Heritage Month mm -hmm. um, feature. And, um, you know, I was born in Mexico, but I was raised here in the U.S. I came here when I was very young, so I don't really I didn't really know anything about being in Mexico or Mexican culture um, because, I, you know, I was adopted, you don't know, but I was adopted and uh, I did live in a uh, baby fold. It's like an orphanage basically for a short time. And it's, you know, I find I'm thankful that I don't really remember it too much because I, I like to think about the fact that I have an amazing family mm -hmm. who I've lived with, you know, since I was about two years old and um, who adopted me and they have been uh, just, they are in every sense of my family and, and my only family and so I would have been in one of these types of spaces at some point even though I don't remember it now um, so I think that having this appreciation of what you're doing um, that's part of the reason for that but 
It's also because when, when I visit places like Little Village, you see there's so much energy and it's just so dynamic. It's so vibrant mm -hmm. and there's so much life happening in places where there is struggle and there are challenges, but there, there's also so much good to celebrate and it just doesn't get put out there as much. You don't hear about those things as much as you hear about the struggles. And I think that, you know, helping people in, in the way that you are, where it's like, we're gonna design a space that really highlights who you are and what the neighborhood is, I think is really special. And so I think it's really amazing that, that um, Designs for Dignity is doing that and that the team is giving so much effort into doing that in a way that is beneficial for so many different people. Yeah, no, I mean, especially at Enlace, it's like we designed the community kitchen and there's, you know, opportunities for culinary lessons and all of those things that normally there wouldn't be access to. So like coming out yeah. of COVID to like really see that center thrive is, is going to be, it's going to be great. I mean, yeah. you know, we've, we've already got the before and after photos of, you know, the renovation and all of that stuff, but seeing the kids and the families in the space is, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. It's not about, yeah. you know, what chair color we picked or the, you know, bricks and mortar. It's about, you know, the people thriving in, in those spaces and building community um, on the other side of this. So it's, it's awesome. Yeah. What do you hope for the future of Designs for Dignity? What, where would you like to see this continue to go? You know, I think for us as an organization, you know, we're, we're 20, we're going on our 21st year. So um, I think continuing to, you know, thrive in the work that we're doing to build those partnerships and grow in that way as far as um, financial supporters, vendors, you know, extending that reach uh, across both residential and commercial um, and certainly the the need that's out there with the nonprofits is being able to, you know, build up our our core staff so that we can support the need that's out there for all of these nonprofits that need, you know, renovation or expansion or they're growing and building a new building. Um, so I think, you know, if we can, you know, help create more community in our own backyard throughout Chicago. That's great. And we want to be, you know, the go-to resource for the nonprofit community when it comes to creating these, um, these spaces and to help empower their lives um, yeah. through design. I mean, that's at the heart of our mission. So um, yeah, continuing to do the good work and do more of it, do it better. Um, yeah. That's, that's at the heart of what we do. There's no, no secret plan. I think we want to <laughs> keep, keep doing amazing, inspiring work um, yeah. for the nonprofit community. We really hope that some of our listeners are inspired and, and wanting to partner with you and doing that work because we know that it's important and, and that there's so much benefit to that. And so for people who may have been learning about your organization and, and inspired to help, I see there's so many different ways to volunteer and really on every level, whether you're a designer who who does this for a living or you're a family who just wants to give of your resources in some way, there's so many different ways to, to volunteer. So how can people partner with Designs for Dignity and the work that you're doing? 
like you mentioned, there's several ways. I mean, we, we bucketed into, you know, three things, time, talent, and treasure. Of course, you know, cash is king, financial contributions, especially as we gear up for Giving Tuesday and year-end donations are huge. Um, giving your time. So a project volunteer. We also do days of service. So you don't have to be a designer. That's really coming to help us, you know, wipe furniture down, lay down carpet tiles. It might be painting a day. Um, dusting off furniture, you name it. Um, there's, there, we'll meet you where you are. There's no lack of uh, volunteer opportunities by far. We've done mulching and planting of flowers for the exteriors of some of the spaces that we do. Um, definitely from a organizational perspective, we've got board membership opportunities. We have an associate board. Uh, volunteering at our events when we get back to having fundraising events in person in 2022, knock on wood. Um, but yeah, we, we welcome all the support, families, individuals, designers, non-designers. Uh, you can follow us on uh, Instagram, social media. We're at Designs for Dignity. Our website's designsfordignity.org. Uh, we're even on Venmo, so check us out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we, like I said, I hope that people have been inspired to partner with you because I think that it's amazing work that you're doing. And I, on a personal level, really appreciate what you're doing because I think that the impact, I mean, goes far beyond the reach of what, what we even know, because this doesn't affect just the people who are using the services, but their families as well. And I think that um, there's so many people who are so appreciative of people who are in the social services and doing all the different work. And so we thank you for that. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to say anything else that you think is important for people to know. Um, if there's anything that we didn't get to cover that you'd like to share, um, this is your time. I know that you did give ways that people can connect with Designs for Dignity, especially going to designsfordignity.org. And that's with the number four in the middle. Um, so you can check out their website or their social medias. But Anything that you want to leave us with before we uh, we wrap up here? You know, I think, Nathan, it's, it's great to be part of this today and to share our story. Um, I, I think Designs for Dignity is always looking for supporters. So, you know, if you've got it in your capacity to dig deep this year and want to make a do donation to Designs for Dignity, that would be tremendous. Um, if you know of a nonprofit that could use our services, certainly reach out. A simple email is great too. Um, we're on all the social media channels, but uh, designsfordignity.org is our website. You can sign up to volunteer, donate, uh, even send a nonprofit our way um, and we can help uh, help build a better community for, for the future. So appreciate the time today. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, we appreciate you all and and what you're doing and so for us it's just it's just the cherry on the top to get to talk to people so we we certainly appreciate you and your time uh, and of course we appreciate our listeners who um, listen to all the episodes you can find all episodes of the bridging chicago podcast online at www.bridgingchicago.com there you'll find all four seasons of the podcast and of course you can visit our socials. It's at Bridging Chicago if you're looking on Instagram or Twitter. And you can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Just search for Bridging Chicago. So 
Jennifer, thank you again for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, we really hope that people partner with you in your mission because it's a good one. And, uh, and we know that the impact is reaching far and wide. So thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here today. Yeah. All right. We'll see you again on another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solution Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.